This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Hope you're getting through the week, focusing on tons of self-care, joy and pleasure, and uh, as much rest as possible. Got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about mental health and kids, how to talk to them, how to normalize mental health, right? How to get people familiar with the languaging. And then uh, talking about uh, depression and anxiety, some um, sociological systemic causes that sometimes go under-recognized, thereby only treating the symptoms, not the root cause, right? Sometimes we just, in our country, go for the elimination of symptoms, and then the causes remain. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, lots of interesting stuff in the news, uh, things I want to really kind of dive into topically. So, gosh, where to begin, where to begin? I have a lot in front of me. Paris Hilton, we'll start with this one. So she came out saying that she has PTSD from her ex leaking a sex tape of theirs. So I thought, you know, really important topic. I think we don't always understand a few things. One of them is we have revenge porn laws in most states now, which basically means that um, unless someone gives you explicit permission to post something or share something, uh, it's illegal to do so. Just because someone lets you film them, just because someone sends you a video or a photo, that does not transfer or give you ownership. Does not transfer ownership or give you ownership, excuse me. So you can't say, well, you sent it to me, so it's mine. Uh, legally, it's not. Actually, it's theirs. It's still theirs. You can do nothing with it. But that's how it is in the wider world. Just because you can get, someone can send you a snapshot of something or a logo, that doesn't mean you can do what you want with it. So again, unless someone gives you explicit permission that you can post or share something, if you do anything with a video or a photo that you've taken of them or that they've sent you, even sharing it with a friend or showing to a friend, you've broken what we call revenge porn laws and it carries jail time and fines. I'm saying this so as to remind people, be ethical. When someone sends you a video or a photo, they're sending it to you for a purpose to connect to share, to excite, to bond, to have temporary eroticism with you. Take that seriously because we should be shaming the people who misuse that, not the people that send it. I want people to feel confident engaging in eroticism. So if you receive that stuff, enjoy. But as soon, here's my rule, as soon as it's done, its purpose is served and or that person's no longer in your life, delete it. You don't have a right to keep it. You don't have a right to do anything with it. They sent it to you for a purpose. When it's done, delete it. Ask people to delete it. Hey, we're not talking anymore. Please delete the things I sent you. But again, them sending it to you does not give you possession or ownership. You're not allowed to do anything with it. And that's how I empower people that are the victim. If you see someone sharing it, sending it to someone, posting it somewhere, they've broken the law. You can file charges under revenge porn. It's, it's traumatic. This is, this is how things get leaked people's identities, it's misused, people get shamed, stigmatized. Yeah, I bet. I can't imagine being a celebrity and having that widely released. Now we can at least take action, 
but it never should have occurred in the first place. I'm sad that people are shamed by their sexuality. I want to live in a world where like it doesn't even matter because it's so familiarized. We understand that that's part of the process, but we're not there. Um, also, cannabis cuisine. You know when Martha Stewart's in on something, it's taken flight. Uh, LA had the first cannabis restaurant. Uh, I don't know how that's going now. but um, <clears throat> And just kind of a heads up, as a lot of states are starting to make marijuana use legal, we want to understand and have a good relationship to it. So we got to take our time. We got to be thoughtful. We got to be cautious. But um, just a heads up with the food. That that stuff is slowly digested. And I have some clients where consuming uh, marijuana-based food and edibles slowly digested and really left them high for extreme and long periods of time. So just be aware. It's not something that's in, in and out quick fix. Um, I've, I've seen some horror stories of those things. Also, I thought this was funny because I was raised on Morrissey and uh, this came out a couple days ago. Morrissey's not so happy. The Simpsons, God bless. I didn't know that show was still going. They basically did a Morrissey parody, changed the name, but we all knew who it was. Wasn't very kind. <laughs> I think what bums me out is it's they always go to the fat joke. Um, let's, let's make the person fat. And if they're larger body, let's make them even fatter and exploit that. And this whole idea that larger bodied or fat people are inherently messy and sloppy. And so that, you know, problematic stereotype was in there as well. And so I appreciate him pushing back on it. You know, I just wish that humor wasn't meant to further oppress someone who's already an oppressed, you know, member of a population. I, it's the low hanging fruit. We're still making those fat jokes. So let's do a little bit better than that. There's so many funny things and ways we can mock the world. Um, and then finally, uh, Zoe Kravitz, uh, Taylor Page, they're a thing now. She likes women. She's bi, she's pan, she's fluid. I don't know. Maybe she's on her journey. But I, I love people coming out in all of their beautiful queerness, normalizes, it empowers. Sometimes people come to these things later in life. Still legit, still reasonable. Sometimes it takes falling in love with the right person. Remember, being pansexual, bisexual, or sexually fluid doesn't mean 50-50. Can mean 99-1. It can mean 90-10. 90% hetero, 10% gay. You know, she met the one person who brought that part up and out. Maybe it, that that's what it took. Maybe it was always there. I don't know. It doesn't matter. All these positions are are legitimate, you know, sexual positions out in the world. But it's also a reminder that later in our lives, if we're open, you know, our sexuality is an ongoing thing, always evolving and changing based on situations and people we meet. So you know, the more we can resolve all the stigma around exploration and sexual identity, the more truth that can really emerge and the more people can kind of try things out and explore them, knowing that there's not going to be a stigma or they won't be uh, not allowed to circle back to their straightness, you know, back to that hetero privilege, right? All right, y'all, we'll be back. Uh, when we come back, we're talking about mental health and kids. Stick around. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about mental health and kids. So listen, again, as always, these, these topics are applicable to everyone. This is through the specific entry point of how a parent might talk to a, chi a kid, a chid, children slash kid as a chid, um, <clears throat> might be about how they speak to their chids about uh, mental health. But this is literally how you can speak to a friend. This is literally about talking to a loved one, a colleague, uh, whoever it might be, a parent, right? But we're going to talk about it again through the uh, lens of a, a parent and a child. 
we're good. Uh, so first off, <clears throat> this is kind of like a lot of topics. Uh, whether you like it or not, whether you're comfortable or not, there's a lot of things we got to talk to kids about because it really comes down to, do you want them empowered and educated or do you want them uh, victimized, disempowered, confused, and at a loss? And it's your call. Because to talk about, let's say, LGBTQIA, that there's gay people, there's lesbians, there's bisexual people, there's people that are trans. Like, first off, there's nothing wrong with being trans, gay, or bisexual. So even if you think you're promoting it, great, promote it. What a great place to be. There's nothing wrong. That's a great lifestyle. Like, welcome to the world. But nonetheless, educating someone is not promoting anything. Educating someone is giving them the tools to deal with, to encounter, to have the verbiage, to have the confidence, right? We tell kids to wear a seatbelt, but that doesn't mean we're promoting driving fast, not paying attention or texting while driving. It's called having them understand what's going on in the world. You know what I mean? We tell them to wear a helmet. That's not so that they can like, you know, fl do flips on their bike or maybe they are, God bless them. Um, <clears throat> we have to talk about gayness, <clears throat> trans, existence. We have to talk about sex education. Yeah. Parents also have to give what we call porn literacy. Porn exists. Nothing wrong with porn, but you got to talk to your kids about age, age development and what they're going to, what they're going to bump into. Kids are looking at porn at younger ages, right? We've talked about that on another show. We'll talk about it again. That's not what this topic is about. Mental health though falls under all of this. Some people think, well, it's something we'll deal with if we have to, but here's the thing. When you talk openly about something, you communicate overtly and covertly that we can talk about this as evidenced by me talking about it now. You normalize it. And again, by normalizing discussing something, you're not walking your child into a mental health issue. It's the opposite. You're letting them know that you can talk to me if you have one. And you're also, again, giving them the language. We want to give people the language and normalize before because then it's too late. For instance, your child might be gay. Your child might be trans. And if you give them the language ahead of time, right, then they jump over having to go through the stigma and the silence and the ostracism and feeling disconnected, right? Mental health is the same way. We know, studies show over and over that if children have access to at least one caring, supportive, available adult, that that reduces significantly suicidality, right? So it's a big feedback loop. One of the things I was saying a lot earlier in the pandemic was <clears throat> saying to someone instead of, Hey, how are you? If you if, look, if it's someone who's casual and you don't really want to connect and you don't want to develop intimacy or be available, you just say, how are you? But if it's someone you want to really let know that you are a safe space, you say, how's your mental health, right? We change that question. And by using that languaging, it reminds people that they have mental health. It also gives them space to talk about it and you're saying, I'm a safe space. So you're connecting them to it, you're giving them language, and you're also creating a safe space. We wanna do that with the mental health topic in general with our children. We wanna let them know that there is this thing called mental health. From the door, they understand physical health. They fall down, we, we rub their knee, we ask them if their arm hurts, if they bump it. Like Physical health is normalized from the door. It's also visual, right? Because mental health is silent, it's invisible. A lot of disabilities are also invisible, right? We have to stop trusting only that which we see or only that which is physical, right? And mental health is invisible. It has some uh, behavioral expressions and manifestations, but the core issue is internal and that's about someone connecting to themselves. Mental health issues cannot be diagnosed from the outside. We need the participants' involvement. It's not just a checklist. That's bad science. That's bad psychology, 
right? It's about the individual and their experience. And the more we normalize, we actually maybe help them uh, progress over and, and not ever have some mental health issues. Some mental health issues themselves are rooted in, caused by, or are that silence, that isolation, that separation. But they're knowing that there's languaging, knowing someone they can talk to sometimes waters it down. It builds resilience. Your presence and connectivity maybe makes it never really anything that's going to have to be dealt with, right? So it's preventative. Yes, if you talk to your kids about mental health, they might not have to struggle with some. It's kind of like drug and alcohol addiction as well. We have to be able to talk about that part. That's like a side component, but that's very much just like sex. It's very much part of mental health, right? And we comfortably, well, maybe not comfortably, but we'll at least openly recognize that drug and alcohol is something that we have to talk about. But mental health is that way as well. Now, luckily, we're going to get deeper into it in two seconds. Luckily, though, a lot of kids' shows are now starting to talk about it and normalize it. Shows on, um, more adult shows are as well, but I think it's really important that's on the children's Shows are, and there's tons of children's books. I think children's books are phenomenal because they're age appropriate, but they also really have a knack for taking very complex, difficult ideas and watering them down. Or not watering them down, but simplifying them, making them into very simple, clear, specific, digestible pieces. And that's why I love children's books. I actually collect them, specific ones, because of that reason. And they give a lot of really beautiful metaphors and anecdotes. Love it. And the illustrations help as well, because part of mental health and connecting to our mental health is being able to put a label on it, right? And if you say to someone, how's your mental health? And they just say good, well, that's a sign they're disconnected or they don't feel like getting into it with you, but it's also maybe a sign they're disconnected from themselves and mental health. That's all they can come up with is good. And then sometimes in therapy, I use a feelings chart, which has words and sometimes facial expressions and says, which one of these, how do you feel? Which one of these? Because someone just says, I feel good and they can only think in terms of good or bad, <clears throat> that's missing out on the depth because we have hundreds of hundreds of thousands of emotions. Um, a lot of research shows that it's more than just what we originally thought, and I, I agree with that. We, we collapse them down into like seven or something, but there's far more. We have to take a quick break, though. Um, <laughs> when we come back, we're going to keep talking about how to approach mental health with children. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about how to have the mental health talk, some of the do's, some of the don'ts. Now, again, I was saying that this is also applicable to how you might approach talking about mental health with a friend, family member, loved one, colleague, whatever it is. Uh, but we're entering through the entryway of an adult talking to a kid. And we're just talking about how normalizing this is healthy, especially for adults, because they've missed out on that step. Because when y'all were kids or we were all kids, we didn't talk about any of this, especially not if you're a man. So it's gendered too. It's also racialized. So all that's in there, you know, how does being black impact what you feel or what you allow yourself to feel or how you express? How does being white, how does being Asian, right? It's all in there. Um, <clears throat> but point being, uh, the more we talk about it, the more we give people the safety to talk about it, the ability to talk about it. Before the break, I was talking about how some people only know how to say good or bad. How do you feel good? How do you feel bad? It's like, no, tell me more. That's to sit in your body. Are you sad? Are you going through grief? Um, are you feeling frustrated? Are you disappointed? Are you jealous? Do you feel lonely? Do you feel angry? Like those are nuanced and those are also completely different experiences. And if we can't even feel it enough to put a word to it, then we're very disconnected. And I don't trust that you're aware of it and able to work with it because that's the key in emotions is able, the ability to work with it, to let it be, to drop into it deeper, to put it on pause. Yes. It's often healthy to compartmentalize and say, ah, uh, not right now. I'm gonna come back to that. 
And then later you do because it's still meaningful or maybe you don't because it's subsided and it doesn't matter anymore. That's part of self-regulation. It's sometimes saying, I'm gonna come back to that. Now's not the time to step into this or to complete this. But again, that's not something we are inherently born understanding or knowing how to do. It's a skill set we need to have given to us as a child by our parents. And so that's what this is all about. So it takes a lot of courage for a child to share the mental health with a parent or anyone that they, you know, as a caregiver, someone they trust, right? Because we're still in our culture stepping on the margins a little bit, right? Because there's still a lot of ableism and stigma around people talking about mental health issues. I try to talk about mine on social media all the time. I recognize in doing so, some people might be like, oh, and he's a mental health professional and he struggles? Yeah, because we all do. Because people, it's part of humanity. And I want to normalize that. And I want people to say, see that even I struggle, right? And I have a great life and still I have struggles. So it takes courage, right? And what you want to do is always respond with empathy and a willingness to listen, but you also have to honor it. And that's where we get into some adultism where we don't really value children's experiences, perspectives, because not everyone takes a child's experience or emotions seriously. Children get sad and that's real. Children can also fall in love and that's real. And I'm not talking about underage stuff. I'm just talking about how we tend to slam teenagers having crushes and saying, you're too young to be in love. And we're diminishing their experience, which means then we're diminishing their heartache or around grief and loss if that relationship ends. That's not fair, that's unkind. If you can feel an emotion, then you have a right to that emotion. You know what I mean? And you have a right to have that honored. So that's the first point. I just want to kind of call that out. It's about being empathetic. It's about listening. Hear that word. I said, listen. I didn't say fix. I didn't say save. I said, listen. That is for everyone listening. When someone comes to you with an emotional experience or anything they're sharing, your first goal is to listen. Okay, don't fix, not I'll tell you what you need to do. You don't can them tissues, you don't calm them down. Just listen, don't calm them down, let them be. We're allowed to have rage, we're allowed to be dramatic in our expression of emotions. That's honest, that's real. Stop trying to water everything down and tamper it down and fix it and get rid of it. Let them just be in their experience. Just listen, right? Honor it, that's the first thing we can do. But also, so here's the first set of do's and don'ts. Don't say, oh, we all feel that way. Or, that's, or we all feel that way sometimes. You can if you're normalizing and supporting, but be very thoughtful about not doing that if you're trying to dismiss or brush it off or illegitimize. Because that's if you use that statement wrong, it goes from healthy, normalizing, like, yeah, that's common. Tell me more. We feel that way. I've been there as well. There's that version, which is supportive, versus, yeah, we all feel that way, which basically says, get over it. I'm not a safe space. I don't want to hear about it. It triggers my own experience of that, and I don't want to step in myself. So we wanna be very thoughtful. We just listen. That's why the question is like, how's your mental health? And we just shut our mouths and we listen. Also, don't say things like, you'll get over it, you'll grow out of it. That's toxic positivity. You don't know that and maybe they won't. This might be something that's with them for the rest of their life. We don't wanna shame the possibility of that. We wanna say, we were here in the moment now. But to say you'll get over it or outgrow it is a lie, just like the it gets better movement. No, it doesn't. Not for a lot of people, it does for some people, but for a lot of people, if you're black or of color or indigenous or fat or queer or trans or, or short if you're a man and all sorts of other things, no, it's not gonna get better because these are isms and systemic forms of oppression and violence that we're still trying to ameliorate and end and diminish. But if you fall in those categories, our culture still wants to make it hard for you. We've known for a while now that the word obese is a pejorative. It's offensive. I still see doctors using that word. That is fat phobic. Check your thin privilege. Learn. Educate. We're still slinging words like that around. So we don't want to say to people, you'll grow out of it because they might be part of a 
uh, an exploited identity or community that it won't. But we still want to empower them. We want to connect them. So just be very thoughtful about them. And also, finally, don't make it into a secret. I remember that coming up when I was a kid where it was like, keep it quiet. Don't tell anyone. Again, we're trying to normalize. We're trying to build in that universal connection. We're trying to get empathy and understanding. So create space for it. Listen, don't shun it. Don't illegitimize it. Don't shut it down. Just be present. They need to know that it's not a scary thing and that you're there with them. All right. I feel like there's more to say about that. We will get back to that at some point, but now it's time to uh, slide the DMs. So we'll be back listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. And uh, before we get into DMs, I just want to tell everyone about a resource. You know, we're in a time where we're talking a lot about the police force and defunding the police. And I think it's really important to recognize that there are a lot of issues that the law enforcement should not have the responsibility for stepping into, right? We, we don't want them to. <laughs> They're not prepared. Um, and we talk about housing issues, LGBTQIA issues, especially mental health issues. We want that to be targeted and handled by mental health professionals. A lot of cities uh, are launching programs, uh, domestic violence, sexual assault, youth, elderly crime, substance abuse. Some of these things are better handled by agencies that have trained qualified people, right? We've seen what happens when the cops step in. So I want to just give everyone a heads up. There's a website called don'tcallthepolice.com and it breaks it down by city. And it gives you resources that target specific issues and organizations. And like I said, resources that are better suited and able to accommodate those needs, homelessness, et cetera, et cetera, substance abuse. Because again, this isn't stuff that uh, we want the cops needing to step into uh, as evidenced by everything we've seen. So don't call the police.com really beautiful site, beautiful resource. Like I said, it breaks it down uh, city by city. Really important stuff. Um, and we're going to see more of that as we move forward. Defunding the police means redistributing that financial resources into underserved communities, uh, marginalized, exploited communities, so they can get their needs met. Because we know that crime is often due to racism, homophobia, transphobia. It's systemic issues. And um, throwing people in jail into the you know carceral system isn't a solution, right? It's just applying uh, Band-Aids and often un unfairly you know, targets um, certain individuals, right? We've talked a lot about that. So wanted to kind of make that resource known. And now let's slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, Dear Dr. Chris and Loveline, what are some tips for better communication about sex? Even though my partner and I have been together for years and years, I still feel shyness and anxiety when it comes to sex and how we talk about the possibility of exploring new things. So first off, uh, what a compliment to you and your partner that you want to talk about this. I think it's a really great thing. Communication's hard, especially around certain topics where culturally we're not really trained how to engage in these things. I think we have an intimacy disorder culturally already, but when it comes to things like sexuality, we're not really trained to have the communication or the languaging to confidently talk about things. So a lot of people sadly progress forward in these relationships where their needs aren't getting met, they're miserable, and they just don't know how to center this. So the first thing I always say is make sure you've built the kind of relationship where you can talk about difficult things. And if you haven't, work on that first. Going right to sexual vulnerability can be overwhelming for some people. Again, if this is something that they're not familiar talking about. And some of my couples work or sex therapy work has been helping individuals get more confidence talking openly about their bodies, about their arousal system, about who they are sexually, and confidently stepping into asking for what they want and expressing who they are. 
So again, my first tip is always first start building the kind of relationship that can tolerate such a thing. Second, learn about who you are sexually first. So you have the languaging and the confidence to express who you are, to ask for what you want. But if you're anxious and you're not educated, you can't then think you're gonna step into that conversation with your partner and not think that they're gonna struggle as you struggle, right? You have to be further ahead, you have to be better than them. So get some education, practice talking about it, maybe go to your close friends first, um, and then build that into your relationship. Start talking to your partner about it. That will help you have other difficult to have conversations. And again, we're not making demands. There's no expectations. It's just about discussing, bringing your partner into the decision-making, right? Gifting them with the knowledge of who you are on these deeper levels and, on, and to the people on the receiving end. Always say thank you, even if it's hard to hear whatever it is they might be bringing up or whatever they're struggling with. Say, thank you for caring enough about me in the relationship that you're making yourself known, that you're bringing this up, that you're not finding solutions that don't involve me, right? Or you're not sitting in silence and getting resentful and taking it out on me. Because that's what happens. We all need to be able to talk about these difficult things. That's a sign of a... Um, Healthy and sustainable relationship is the ability to have that. So make sure you do. Uh, if you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page in the DMs, whatever you're worrying about, we're here for you. We will answer those questions. And coming up next, we're going to talk about some of the deeper causes of anxiety and depression because culturally we tend to only treat and deal with the symptoms but we don't look at what underneath is maybe causing it, thereby not really resolving some of the core key issues. So we're gonna break that on down, so stick around for that, and then of course we'll be closing out the show. It's more DMs, and if you want more Loveline, you can get it by going to wearechannelq.com. It's all there. Stick around, we're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back, and we're gonna talk about depression. Now, I wanna give a caveat, a little bit of a disclaimer. Uh, this isn't a deep dive into the topic of depression as much as this is me bringing forth some new research and some ideas to consider because depression is not inherently a biochemical disease or disorder, okay? We have not been able to confirm that in everyone's case. Some people are helped by meds. That does not necessarily mean that it was a neurochemical or biochemical issue in the first place, right? But what we're saying is we're starting to luckily acknowledge that some of this stuff is psychosocial or spiritual, even environmental. You know, time away from the environment does lead to depression and anxiety, right? We know that time in the environment, eco-psychology is helping us learn that time spent in and with is actually very healing. Spirituality is the same thing. Those that believe in God, a higher power, have spirituality. It's another set of tools and resources. They tend to also fare better in terms of mental health and suffer lower levels of depression. So those factors matter. Is it correlation? Is it causation? We're still figuring all that out. And you know, we'll never know. Um, a lot of times what people think is depression is the symptom of some other deeper issue, you know, and that's what I want to kind of talk about. And this work is coming directly out of Johan Hari's work. His work was very influential on me around my thoughts about addiction as they were developing. And he really started to unpack this biochemical theory about depression because a lot of people really think it's just a brain disorder disease and it's like no uh it's a natural understandable response to a lot of environmental issues yeah and so let's break down some of them so some of the causes powerful causes of depression and anxiety first one uh disconnection from meaningful work we know and we've talked about this on the show that happiness a part of happiness is being content in your life and part of that is dun, 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 to be engaging in work that's passionate, purposeful, and gives you meaning. So for some people, their depression is born out of the fact that they're spending all their time, their energy, right, their resources, and their entire week 
to be part of a job or an industry or career that gives them no purpose and no meaning. And yeah, that's depressing. That's depressive. I mean, just saying that like that made me feel sad and bad. Now, not everyone's job is going to be something that makes them happy. So it's not really about solutions, this segment. It's just about looking at causes. Whether you have other options or not, it doesn't change that for some people, their depression or anxiety is born out of not having purpose or meaning in their life in terms of job or career. So if you are someone who identifies with that, you have to step into a solution, which again is another show, but that might be tied to, can I change what I'm doing at my job? Or do I need to change my job? Or do I need to find things that give me purpose and meaning outside of my job because I'm not gonna change or leave my job? But you need to find purpose and meaning somewhere. And so again, depression could be a part of disconnection from having these meaningful things in your life. And I know that it's privilege. And for those that have it, engage and utilize it. And for those that don't, we find ways to work within. But we have to look at, do we find purpose and meaning in what we're doing? That's huge. Second one, disconnection from people. Now there's so much in this one because I will not imply that we all need to be highly social. I will not imply that we all even need friends. There are some people that are not social at all. There are some people that are introverted and so it's lower levels of socialization, a lot of time and breaks around during before and after, right? And we love to use socialization as a marker of health. I won't, I won't agree with that. Some people are asocial and they're just not that interested in that. That's okay. And it doesn't mean you're autistic or Asperger's and even if you are, you're allowed to communicate in the way you communicate and you're allowed to also socialize the way you socialize. Nonetheless, for the bulk of people though, relationships and socialization are going to be an important part of their mental health. For most people, isolation is very toxic and it tends to lead to a lot of anxiety and depression. The anxiety part throws people off. Well, wait a minute. I don't maybe have a lot of friends or social outlets and I am someone who does like that or want that. Why would that make me anxious? Well, a thousand reasons. Other people distract us. Other people make us feel like we're not alone. Other people literally offer us support. Other people will witness or be a companion through something with us. Their presence, whether literal and actual in real time or just symbolically, is meaningful because we know that someone's there right? So again, your depression and anxiety might be because it's not, you know, not meaning your purpose in your life or because you don't have good close relationships. That's why I was saying we still have time right now where, you know, a lot of people are wanting connection every single day, three people, every single day, text, reach out, call, FaceTime, or see three people. Normalize that. Increase your tolerance and ability to connect to people for those that have the energy for it. Because a lot of people don't have the time or energy. But for those that do, normalize that. Say, wait a minute, maybe that's what the problem is. And I'm going to get in the habit of getting familiar with reaching out and building those relationships. Who's someone you've always wanted to be closer to? Who's someone that's drifted away? Every single day, we maintenance, we put the maintenance in, we build in, right? And then we start to receive that back. But check in on that. Are you feeling a little lonely? Are you feeling a little disconnected? It might be bump it a bum not enough people in your life or you're not, not having depth with them. And that's why, again, like squad goes, squad goals is awesome. Have a group of friends, but you can't build really intimate, deep relationships with that many people. When you're amongst that many people, you're spread out, right? You can't really sit in depth. And that's a lot of people to try to keep up with. You know, I know me personally, I have a smaller social network and it's all about a lot of one-on-one time. I don't run with a group. I like to see all my friends one-on-one. So it's really deep, really intimate, really close. Um, we're going to take a break. When we come back though, we're going to keep talking about, other causes of depression and anxiety that aren't related to these uh, brain disordered theories, you know? So stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey.
All right, we're back and we're talking about depression and how most causes of depression and anxiety are not in our heads, they're out in the world, they're about the lives we're leading, the context we're dropped in. And uh, that's not a commentary on meds. Meds can help people that might be having these externalized issues or not. But it's really about the therapy and the therapy is about looking at you know, how depression and anxiety are symptoms of something, they're symptoms. Meds treat, meds treat symptoms, great. They might remove the symptoms, but what it leaves behind is you're still not engaging in these important factors. So before the break, we were talking about how some people's depression and anxiety are about them not having meaningful lives or meaningful work, right? That they were spending all their time at jobs and in careers that didn't give them purpose, that didn't give them meaning. Yes, that's depressing. That's part of some people's depression or anxiety, right? And removing those symptoms means you're still engaging in a career, even while no longer depressed or anxious because of meds or whatever, in meaningless work. And I don't want that to not be acknowledged. And that's why good therapy doesn't treat symptoms. It goes down and cause, and helps resolve the root problem. And so it'd say, we'll deal with the anxiety and depression by actually getting you meaningful things in your career. Then we were talking uh, before the break about how, for those that are social, having deep, intimate connections with others consistently is going to prevent and remove some depression and anxiety because that's what some people's depression and anxiety is caused by. They're isolated, they're lonely, they don't have support, they don't have deep, intimate connections, right? And we're talking about how, excuse me, you can use this time to reconnect three people a day, right? And as we were saying earlier in the show, asking them, like, how's your mental health? Like, we're keeping it real, we're getting deep, right? So those are things you wanna look at. Um, really, 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 really important. Also, uh, looking further into causes of depression, and anxiety, um, meaningful values. I think that's a really beautiful one. Uh, for some people, spirituality or religion is a source of their values and their ethics and, uh, other people, they come from other places, but some people don't have any. And if you said to them, what's your integrity rooted in? What are your ethics? What are your values? Not everyone has an answer. And that doesn't mean that they're a bad person. Uh, that doesn't mean they're gonna be depressed or anxious, but they could be, or the depression anxiety could be because of this. They don't really know what, the, what their day's about. They don't know what they're here for. They haven't really explored, why am I alive? Why am I getting out of bed? What am I doing with my time? What am I doing with myself? And that can lead to some anxiety and depression, existentially and in their body, right? We internalize that. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know who I am. And we have to find processes and outlets to really do that work, to explore that. That's part of, again, that first point we talked about, about meaningful career. This is having just meaning, general meaning. What am I doing with my time? It's understandable to be anxious or depressed if you're just kind of floating through life, floating through the day, grounded in nothing, not moving towards anything, right? And that's why people set goals and they have careers and hobbies. But I think understanding our politics, our ethics, our values will help guide us. It also will help us process and get through some other issues. I know I'm constantly relying on my ethics as a guide for my decision making or how I'm going to handle a situation or a person. Um, other forms of uh, causes of the symptoms of depression and anxiety is uh, maybe unresolved, undealt with, unacknowledged childhood trauma. We know that as the number of traumas increase in a child's life, we know the rise in percentage of a chance that they'll have specific mental health disorders. Um, the more uh, the accumulation of trauma a child has, we have higher levels of things like psychosis, right? It's powerfully linked to that. Uh, drug and alcohol use. That's why drug and alcohol use, you know, addiction's not a disease. Addiction 
is a response to trauma. It's an attempt to co-process or deal with trauma. And that's why recovery has to have trauma work in there, right? 100%. Otherwise, again, we're just treating symptoms and not, and we're leaving the problem then in place. And it will continue and even maybe emerge in other ways. And that's why we actually have to ign- not ignore symptoms, excuse me. We have to actually uh, get into and not ignore the actual problem. We don't want to just treat symptoms, right? And that's what we're doing. We're always reaching for a med of some kind, right? I'm just going to do yoga. I'm just going to read a book. I'm just going to take a pill. Look, those are all very helpful. We need those. Those are part of someone's mental health and their program. But we also have to at some point say, but what's causing this? How about I deal with that? Is it my meaningless work? Is it that I don't know or I'm not connected to my values or purpose? Is it because I don't have relationships that are meaningful and of worth to me? right? Because those things will make us feel like we're alone in the world, right? Think about that literally and existentially. Um, I remember I was thinking about that when my father passed away. What, what's my mom's anchor now? What is she getting up to go do? What is her day about? What is her life about? Maybe she shouldn't get out of bed some days because she has no, no reason for being. She has to start to decide what, what meaning am I going to bring into my time now? I have to stay connected socially. My husband's gone and he was a major outlet. I find purpose and meaning. My husband's gone and things we would do, his career, our vacations, our hobbies, our time together, that was part of that purpose and meaning. And that's where it swirls back into grief and loss where at certain times we have to do this work. But the trauma work is vast because there's so many micro and macro levels of trauma. None of us are trauma-free or trauma-less, right? Uh, we all come from difficult backgrounds, some worse than others. Some people are in you know, family of origins that included violence. But then if you're gay, you have to deal with the trauma, the repeated ongoing never-ending trauma of homophobia, living out in the homophobic world, maybe homophobia you've internalized. If you're black, on top of whatever else the world is throwing at you, you also have to deal with the ongoing, open-ended, continuing trauma of being in a white supremacist culture. If you're fat or larger bodied, you've dealt with all the things you dealt with, and on top of that, you're part of a system that's fat phobic and body shaming. See how it never ends? Gender, sexism is in there, toxic masculinity. Those are all traumas, ongoing open-ended traumas that we're doing our best to be resilient around while we hopefully work to change them so that we're no longer impacted by them. But we're always swimming in a lot of traumas. We have to do the work on them. We can even do the work on the ones that are open-ended and still perpetuated in our culture. But it requires that trauma work. And a lot of people in my office are not aware that what they think is a problem is actually just a symptom of another problem that hasn't been identified that's rooted in some form of trauma. Going to take a break, but we'll be back. We're going to keep talking about this. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about causes of depression and anxiety because what a lot of people think is the problem that the depression's the problem or I'm anxious, the anxiety's the problem. No, they're symptoms of a problem. And we don't wanna just treat symptoms because then the problems remain, they maintain, they show up in other ways, right? And so we're talking about how it might be that you don't have meaningful work, that is the problem that's leading to depression, anxiety. Maybe it's not enough ongoing, consistent, deep, transparent personal relationships that are leading to depression and anxiety. So again, the work is on these relationships, not just getting rid of the anxiety. Um, Childhood trauma is also what we were talking about. That's what we were talking about before the break. Um, And I was saying how a lot of people, their trauma can't end because it's an ongoing thing, like being black in a a white supremacist culture, right? Imagine the trauma of uh, being Asian and hearing the president of the United States openly mock Asians 
right? <clears throat> Imagine being a large body in our culture. Imagine being gay in our culture or trans or a woman or a man because of toxic masculinity or misandry. There's all sorts of stuff. We hate sex workers, right? I love you sex workers. You all are part of the family. I'm always battling for your rights, but there's still people that somehow think that certain humans such as sex workers and other individuals are not worthy or legitimate of having all their needs met, right? So some people are constantly living in that on top of early childhood traumas and events. And we know the more trauma you have, the higher level that we can expect mental health issues, including addiction and even psychosis, three or more. You hit about five traumas in your life, we have a high rate of psychosis that comes out of that. A lot of mental health issues are due to context, socialization, right? It's not just a gene thing. Um, okay, other forms of depression and anxiety, status. Status and the, the key, the, a side word that um, the author uses, because I'm talking about Johan Hari's work, is he says respect. Now sit with that. We just talked about some of the ongoing traumas based on people's identities and places in the world, right? Social positions. Now imagine on top of that, how there's a lack of respect associated with some of those identities. And so you're not given status. Status doesn't mean right, that you are wearing a badge. Status doesn't mean that you're the CEO. We're talking about just citizenship. Is, are you seen as having the status of a full citizen? Well, not if you're trans, because people are still debating trans rights. I was telling you about down in Florida, they're passing these disgusting, sexually abusive laws about genital inspection. That is not someone having full citizenship or status as a full human being. Same thing if you're fat, same thing if you're gay, same thing if you're a sex worker, right? So status and how you're respected or disrespected or dehumanized in our culture is going to lead to a lot of depression and anxiety. People don't think about that. Being gay in our homophobic culture is most likely gonna give you a, a current that you've gotten too familiar with of ongoing continual anxiety or depression. You don't even see yourself on TV, we're just starting to. If you wanna hold your boyfriend's hand, you wonder if someone's gonna throw a bottle at your head because that still happens even here in Los Angeles. That is going to cause some depression and anxiety. It's not just a biochemical thing. Take a pill and the problem's solved. We're going deeper, right? What else do we have to think about? Uh, disconnection from the natural world. I just put an IG post out about that. That my seasonal affective kicks in in the summer and the heat. I start getting depressed, okay? That is environmental. And what I need to do to deal with that is spend more time in nature, putting my bare feet on the earth, right? We're too disconnected from the natural world. And everyone feels the impact when they go breathe in fresh air or go for a hike or a picnic or to the beach or whatever it is. Sometimes you just find a patch of green and stick your feet in it and you feel the shift. So part of anxiety and depression is our feet are always touching materials. Think about that. When did your bare feet touch earth last versus your bare feet touching your hardwood floor materials, paint and shellac, your feet touching linoleum or socks, synthetic or a rug, synthetic. It's rare. We need that. And I wanna talk more about eco-psychology, which is an entire beautiful field that's looking at how our mental health is impacted by the environment, right? But right now, we're not even taking care of the environment. You know what I mean? We're worried about straws, but we're still eating and killing fish. We got a lot of work to do. But I wanna keep moving, because we're running out of time. I wanna just get through this with y'all. Don't wanna leave you hanging. Finally, disconnection from a hopeful, secure future. My God, go back to what I said about some identities in our world. Some individuals are not promised and cannot count on a hopeful or secure future. Think about that. 
There are certain people that again, <laughs> it's like I'm repeating the same systems. But again, if you're gay in a homophobic culture, you are far from promised a hopeful or secure future. Same thing if you're trans, same thing if they're black, same thing if they're larger bodied. Like, and the list goes on. Ageism is in there. If you're over a certain age, you're not taken seriously for relationships or employment. If you're under a certain age, it never stops. So yeah, these people might not have status and respect. These things themselves are trauma. They're also not promised a hopeful, secure future. We talk about poverty. Are people able to access the natural world or are they trapped in cities? Like all of these things swirl around. So these lead to things like anxiety and depression. And that's why mental health is dun, 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 a social justice issue, 100%. And finally, yes, genetics. For the people that love the bio, the bio uh, theories, it can be genetic, it can be bio, and for some people, nothing else. It's just, it is born out of that, and meds would be the thing that would help. Talk therapy can help, but for some people where it's truly bio and genetic, it's the meds. But if the meds aren't helping, it's probably because it's one of the, you know, the list of the other things we just went through that are the true cause, and the symptom alleviation just isn't enough, right? All right, y'all, uh, coming up next, DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Tonight's question is to say, Dr. Chris, my name is Rachel. Been together with my girlfriend for about a year. However, I have a secret that I am not telling her. We met before many, many, many years ago, way back. We tried to date way back then. I love stuff like this. My God, surprise. It didn't work out back then, so we both decided to move on. And I told her that I'm over it and everything happens for a reason, especially timing. Okay. But dun, 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 there's one thing I can't get over. Back then, I found out it wasn't working out because someone else told me she was cheating on me. And now getting into this quote unquote newer relationship, she's changed. Okay. I like that. You have to recognize that. People grow. They change. They do. And so have I, but I still feel a little uncertain about her. If she could cheat on me back then, what makes it any different now? I'm afraid we might be too far in to bring it up. Should I just let it go and get over it? Or is it something we need to talk about? Oh man, I love this. I mean, in theory, we should be able to talk about anything with our partners. If you can't have deep, intimate, transparent relationships with your partner, who can you have them with, right? It bums me out when people have to outsource that to just friends or family members, right? The whole point of deep, intimate, connected relationships is so that we can have that kind of depth with at least one person. And it's a bummer when people reserve that or only afford that to friends, thereby making the romantic partner what? Just a romantic partner? That's all that you wanna access with them? That's all you want them to be available for? Because again, the beauty of romantic sexual partners is that we get to have connections and intimacy on a multitude of levels. Again, not every relationship has to have every box checked, but you're, if you're living with this person and you're spending the most amount of time with them, I'd want you to be able to bring anything up, especially that. That vulnerability is something we want to be able to bring in. I do like the idea of people processing, is this worth making an issue of? I do like the idea of people thinking, is this my work or their work, right? But I still nonetheless would like it to be able to be a very gentle, neutralized topic that's brought up. Hey, you know, we had in the past tried this before. I found out that you were cheating on me. There should be no shame in recognition of that. That's not your shame to carry. That was not your issue to carry. Shouldn't be your issue to struggle along with in silence either, right? There's nothing 
problematic about saying, hey, I know that historically this is what happened. And for whatever reason, cheating was something that you thought was an option and you stepped into that. Um, is that something you'd consider now? I think that's an appropriate question. You're not, uh, you're not blaming them. You're not, um, you're not even holding them accountable to the possibility of that as much as you're just inquiring, right? Like, how would you deal with that differently now? Can we talk about what that might've been about? Like, again, I love those kinds of conversations. What was your thought process back then? What were you trying to use that as a solution to solve? Like, what were you trying to solve that, that you thought, you know, was the best solution? And yeah, what, how would you manage that issue if that came up with me again? I'd ask that. I'd personally want to know that. I love asking questions like that. You know, I build deep relationships with everyone in my life. And that's the kind of things we talk about. Like, how did your last relationship end? You know, what tends to be the reasons why you leave a relationship? I'm not accusing them of anything. It's truly curiosity. And even if they have horrible answers, it's like, yeah, okay. I might've been there. I might not have been there. I might've done something similar. I might not. Um, how are you different? You know, how would you handle that now? I think that that's a really healthy, beautiful thing. No one should struggle in that conversation. So bring it up. You know, whenever we find out information about someone, um, if it's something that impacts us or our ability to be present and in a relationship with them, I think it's important that we talk it out. It's There's like a kindness in that, letting them be part of that discussion and not deciding for them that they would or wouldn't or whatever the meaning is you're making, right? So let them kind of be a part of that. Bring them in. It, it, it's not a it's not a fair sign. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a sign of fairness or love to have an internal struggle that involves someone else and leave them out of the ability to participate or help us make sense of that. You know what I mean? Um, so step into that anxiety. I think they'll thank you for that. Anywho, that is our show. If you got a DM for us, drop it in the uh, DMs on our Loveline IG page. And uh, tomorrow, going to be talking about some important stuff. One of them is we're going to talk about the creativity and diversity of both sexual orientation, but also relational orientation as a way to kind of just concretize, normalize all these different ways of being that some people struggle with and think that it means that there's something wrong with them. So giving language and that's always empowering. So uh, join us for that. And if you got a DM, like I said, share with us. Otherwise, if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going over to wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, click on my face. There it all is. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out, and you enjoy the rest of your night.